I did a calculation that just the young people 18 and below that we lose on an annual basis in Utah, it's about 3,000 years of lost human life. Utah has the sixth highest suicide rate in the country. We're also a gun-friendly conservative state, and half of suicides here in Utah are firearm-related. I'm Emily Means. And I'm Sonia Hudson. This week on 45 Days, we're talking about how the legislature tries to balance those two issues. Just a warning to our listeners, we're going to be talking about suicide in this episode and hearing some personal stories about it, which some listeners might find disturbing. If you or someone you know needs help, call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. We'll also have links to a few resources in the episode notes at our website, 45days.org. And Emily, this is an issue that has touched so many people in the state, lawmakers included, and that has led over the years to some really candid public discussions, including on the House floor in the legislature. High school on a student committed suicide. It deeply, deeply affected my son. The next number I want to share with you is the number 500. That's the approximate number of our fellow citizens who took their lives last year. This bill uh, should move the dial if we understand better what's what's happening. This is an epidemic that we can address, that we can do something about. We're going to talk a lot this episode about what the legislature is doing to address this, both in terms of prevention and other policies that aren't directly about suicide, but still have an impact. But before we get into all that, Sonia, can you give us a sense of how severe the problem is in Utah? Yeah. So suicide rates in Utah have been above the national average for a long time, but they started to really increase in about 2008. And youth suicide rates in particular started increasing about 2011. And I think it's important to remember as we're talking about this that There's numbers, but all these numbers are real people that have lost their lives, that have families and friends and classmates and coworkers. And in 2019, 647 people in Utah died by suicide. Utah is part of what some experts call the suicide belt, which means that the states with the highest suicide rates in the country are mostly clustered in the Mountain West where we are. So there's Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Utah, Colorado, and then also New Mexico and Alaska. And in Utah in particular, the rates are even higher in rural parts of the state. Well, do we have any sense of why that is? Experts aren't totally sure, but they do have a few ideas. One is the Western mentality of, you know, picking yourself up by your bootstraps. And they think that that could prevent people from seeking treatment when they're having trouble. Also, a lot of these states have big rural populations. In rural areas, there are just fewer mental health resources, but more guns. There's also a controversial theory about high altitude in these states. The theory is that lower oxygen levels could affect the serotonin levels in your brain, actually. Rates are also higher among LGBTQ youth across the country, but there's not great Utah-specific data on that. And these are just some areas that experts have identified, but suicide is an extremely complex issue. And there's a lot of factors that go into it that we haven't even really touched on. 
So what did the state do when suicide rates started going up? The legislature started passing a bunch of bills to address this. They poured a lot of money into it. And the governor also created a task force in 2018. Republican Representative Steve Ellison has been the one leading the charge in the legislature to address mental health since it started to become a big issue that really couldn't be ignored. To help us dig deeper into how this issue has played out over the last decade, I talked to Ellison about what he's been doing in the legislature and his own personal connection to the issue. I've lost three extended family members to, to suicide. It's, it's shaken me to the core because I see the loss that is caused by a family member who, in my heart of heart beliefs, they didn't really want to die. They were just in a tremendous amount of emotional and mental, potentially physical pain. And they just wanted that pain, some relief from that pain. And they, at that point in time, thought that that was the best way to deal with it. We know there's so many other ways. And I, I did a calculation that just the young people, 18 and below, that we lose on an annual basis in Utah, it's about 3,000 years of lost human life every year for just the young people that die in Utah, 3,000 years. So any efforts we can put in place to reduce those unnecessary deaths just leave a world of opportunity and life ahead for people. And so I think it's, from my perspective, one of the most critical policy areas that we can and should be focused on. What has been the overarching strategy in Utah to address suicide and mental health? First and foremost, we we put a, a 10-year prevention plan together, which we'd never had in the state of Utah. Then we focused on encouraging help-seeking resources, such as calling the Utah Crisis Line or even calling for help uh, for a mobile crisis outreach teams, otherwise known as MCOT teams, is their acronym, are basically mental health ambulances. As we've promoted those resources, we've seen a lot of Utahns reach out for help, which is very encouraging. Another pillar, we've tried to encourage people to safely store firearms. We know that there is a huge connection between the likelihood of somebody to die by suicide and the method they use. And if they use a firearm, they're probably going to die. So encouraging parents and gun owners to safely store firearms is critical and we believe that we've seen some of our recent reductions in suicide as a result of some of the efforts in that area. And then we've also just tried to destigmatize mental health and reaching out for help as uh, part of a public service announcement campaign uh, called Live On Utah. So those are some of the main initiatives that we've been focused on. When did Utah start to take a serious look at suicide prevention? In the past eight sessions, we've passed nearly two dozen uh, mental health uh, suicide prevention related bills. And last session was probably the best session in the state's history for mental health. It, in fact, really the only bill that survived the cuts last summer when we had a special session related to COVID was House Bill 32 that was a crisis services bill that provided a lot of funding for crisis resources. 
And the timing, frankly, couldn't have been better because we've seen a huge uptick in those requests for those services during the pandemic. So the momentum's been building over the past eight, nine years. And we have a number of bills this very session that we're uh, considering to continue to make strides in those areas. Representative Ellison, you are part of a pro-gun party, the Republican Party, and you voted yes in the past on pro-gun bills, including the concealed carry bill that would get rid of concealed carry permits. That's currently going through the legislature right now. Also, half of suicides in Utah are firearm suicides. How do you balance those two things? Several years ago, our minority leader, Representative Brian King, ran a bill that had strong support from both sides of the aisle for Utah to study the connection between suicide and firearms. But Utah went ahead and we we passed that bill, we funded it. Harvard School of Public Health did the study, have since issued it, and we learned a number of interesting things. One thing that we learned is that firearm owners aren't any more likely to be suicidal than somebody who doesn't own a firearm. It's just that they're a lot more likely to die if they do attempt suicide. And we also know that children that are in homes that own a firearm are at a much greater risk of dying by suicide, not being more suicidal, simply a higher risk of dying by suicide because of the lethality of a firearm. So that data has driven the legislature in a very bipartisan way to say, look, while differences may exist on different you know, Second Amendment rights, the one thing we can all agree on is a culture of safety and uh, safe storage of firearms. Do you yourself own a firearm? And if so, how do you secure it? Yes, I own a firearm and it is, uh, it is, is locked away, far away from my children. And it doesn't have ammunition stored with it either. I think it's really important for firearm owners to know that the chances of somebody coming into your home and harming a family member with a firearm, those odds are about the same as being killed in a, a, a flash flood. However, the really sobering statistic is, is that uh, people who purchase a firearm to protect their family, knowing that 83% of firearm deaths in Utah are suicides, the reality is, is the firearm they purchased to protect their family is most likely the firearm that will take the life of one of their family members. So I can't emphasize strongly enough that safe storage of firearms can make the difference of whether or not a family member lives or dies. Representative Ellison, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. You bet. Thank you. So Ellison and other lawmakers have tried to first understand what the problem even is and then put a bunch of money into trying to fix it. But there's this tension between wanting to prevent firearm suicide and also being pro-gun, which puts Ellison and other Republicans in kind of a tough spot. And their solution has been not to back down on Second Amendment rights, because this whole time we've also had Republicans running pro-gun bills, but to also focus on gun safety. 
Yeah. And mental health has been a big focus of the legislature for the past several years. And last year was really kind of a banner year for it. Uh, Another Republican lawmaker actually called a package of bills that Elison ran last year the crown jewel of mental health legislation. They put tens of millions of dollars into receiving centers, mobile outreach teams, and also housing assistance for some people that were released from the Utah State Hospital. And this year, Senate President Stuart Adams and House Speaker Brad Wilson have committed to making it a priority again. Yeah, I actually remember that during their opening speeches on the first day of the session, they mentioned that. Through the pandemic, mental health needs have increased. We cannot ignore this growing concern. Utah should create models the country can use to help address this important issue. The time has come to invest in a comprehensive approach to mental health challenges. So let's talk about what the legislature is actually doing this year. We mentioned there are two categories these bills fall into. There are bills that directly address suicide prevention, and then there are bills about other topics that can have an impact on suicide. Right. Okay, so let's talk about those prevention bills first. Sonia, tell us what's on tap this year and how they fit into this larger strategy that Elison was talking about. The first part of that strategy was understanding what the problem actually was and then creating infrastructure to deal with the problem. One of the early things they did was create this statewide suicide prevention coordinator. And we're now firmly in the next phase of that, which is the get people services part of the strategy. Last year, that bill I mentioned that Elison ran, the crown jewel of mental health legislation, part of what that did was it funded these mental health ambulances. They're basically crisis response teams that are made up of a clinical social worker and a peer support specialist, which is someone who has personal lived experience with mental health issues. And they show up at wherever the mental health crisis is taking place. This year, there is a bill that would pump more than $4 million into almost tripling the number of those teams throughout the state. And it's gotten really strong support so far. Okay, so what other bills are coming up? There's one that allows students to take a mental health day off from school as a preventative measure for more serious mental health problems. Lawmakers have been pretty on board with that. Elison also has a bill that would encourage healthcare providers to ask about mental health during non-mental health appointments to try to catch some people before things get really bad. So the other category of policy we want to talk about is this legislation that doesn't directly involve suicide, but can still have an impact on it. Let's tackle gun policy first, because Elison is a pro-gun Republican, He even owns a gun, which he mentioned, you know, he does keep locked up, but he also spends a lot of time trying to make sure that people understand the risk of bringing a firearm into your home and the importance of doing things like locking it up. Um, And as a part of that work, he, you know, works on legislation to increase firearm safety. Well, there's a bill this year that we've both been watching that has sailed through the legislature And it gets rid of the requirement to have a permit to carry a concealed weapon. And there are some people who are worried about the impact that could have on suicide. So, Sonia, what is the connection between this bill and suicide? 
So in order to get one of those concealed carry permits, you have to take a firearm safety course. That course includes information about suicide prevention. And gun control advocates like House Minority Leader Brian King, who I should mention has actually talked to me about being a gun owner himself, they are concerned that this bill will mean that fewer gun owners end up taking that training. I'm very concerned about the steps that we take in this bill that will, I think, inevitably increase the presence of firearms in everyday life without a couple of things, without training. And I don't see anything in the bill that increases the likelihood that training will occur. In fact, just the opposite. Well, what do the bill's supporters have to say about that? The bill is sponsored by a Republican representative named Walt Brooks, and his argument is that the majority of gun owners are responsible, and a lot of them will still seek out the training voluntarily, even if this requirement goes away. And he also argues, you know, the state's already doing a lot to increase gun safety, and these issues are not really related in his mind. Covering a your gun with a jacket does not increase suicide. To me, that is a very important issue, but it is separate. I fully expect this concealed carry bill to become law. You know, it's gotten really strong support from lawmakers and it's going to go to a governor who has signaled that he'll sign it. Um, the legislature actually passed something similar to this a few years ago um, that was vetoed by Governor Gary Herbert. But I think that Spencer Cox is definitely much more likely to sign this one. Well, we've talked about gun rights bills, that they could be tied into this whole conversation about suicide. But what else factors into that? So I mentioned earlier in the episode that LGBTQ youth have a higher suicide rate and a sense of not belonging, of not fitting in, of feeling ostracized is associated with more severe depression. And depression is obviously a risk factor for suicide. LGBTQ advocates will tell you that running anti-LGBTQ bills harms the mental health of those kids because they feel like they're not accepted and that their right to just exist as themselves is being questioned. And on the flip side, running pro-LGBTQ bills like the ban on youth conversion therapy or the anti-discrimination law that were passed a couple years ago has the opposite effect helps those kids. This year, there are two anti-trans bills in the legislature that would impact trans youth specifically, and advocates are really worried about those bills. One of them would prevent transgender girls from playing girls' sports in school, and the other would outlaw transgender hormone therapy, including something called puberty blockers for people that are under 18. Utah has spent a bunch of time discussing suicide at the legislature, and lawmakers have put a bunch of money into mental health programs. Sonia, is any of it working? It looks like it could be having some sort of impact. The suicide rate in Utah has started to decrease slightly in the last couple years, so it's better than it used to be. We're not seeing a big increase. It's hard to say, though, whether it's directly because of those measures or something else or a combination of the two. And Utah's suicide rate is still much higher than the national average. So the state still has a lot of work to do to save lives. If you or someone you know needs help, 
contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or the Utah Crisis Line at 801-587-3000 or the Crisis Text Line by texting 741741. Okay, Emily, week three of the legislative session is almost over. What else happened this week in the world of politics? First thing, for the first time ever, Utah is going to have an independent commission advise the legislature on how to redraw political districts. So that's things like congressional districts and state senate districts. And we found out who's going to be on that commission this week. There are some former lawmakers, some former judges, and the chair is actually a BYU professor. Number two, lawmakers had a pretty intense debate about billboards this week. There's a bill that would limit cities' ability to regulate electronic billboards. And part of the debate was whether the billboard industry was getting special treatment because the senator running that bill got campaign money from an outdoor advertising company. And number three is police reform, which we talked about a lot last week on 45 Days. Some of those less controversial bills we mentioned in that episode, those ones about training and data collection, they both had unanimous support in their first hearings this week. But another bill, which would allow cities to create police oversight boards, was tabled. People who opposed it worried an oversight board would be biased against police. So that bill is effectively dead this session. That does it for this week on 45 Days. I'm Sonia Hudson. And I'm Emily Means. The show was edited by Caroline Ballard and produced by Roddy Nickpour. Chelsea Naughton is our digital editor. Trisha Bobita is KUER's podcast manager. Our news director is Elaine Clark, and the station manager is Joel Meyer. 45 Days is a production of KUER. Talk to you next week. From KUER.